If you are here and you uh, have a Bible, uh, go ahead and get it out. You are here. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and uh, get it out. Um, if you do not have a Bible, we have one for you. We'd like for to give you or let you borrow whichever you'd like. It's right here. Just lift up your hand and uh, we'll bring one to you. I'll even tell you where we're going to be today on page 888. It's where we're going to be. Actually starting at 887 and 888. So if you want a Bible. As you're getting there, I want to make you aware of something going on in the life of our church that's very, very important. We have next Sunday afternoon what we call Mission Partner Prep. Now, what Mission Partner Prep is, is it's the next step for those of you that have been visiting a while, and you're ready to take a step towards engaging the life of Neartown Church. And so Mission Partner Prep uh, is a simple two-and-a-half-hour class where I answer three questions. What is the gospel? What is our vision? And what are expectations for mission partners? And uh, it's kind of like what we, most churches call members, but we, we wanted to use a language a little different to more clearly communicate what it means to be a member of our church. Uh, on your chair, there's a card, like an invitation to that. If you are not a mission partner and you would like to have answered, questions answered, or you would be interested in being a part of that class, just write your name, your email, and your cell phone number down there, and we'll be in contact with you. Uh, attending the class does not commit you to being a mission partner. It's uh, simply an opportunity for you to get some information about the church. One of the things that you'll hear in that class is what we do in this part of our strategy that we call Restore Locally. And I wanted to make you aware that uh, just this week, I went and met with the principal in the area at Gregory Lincoln Elementary. John Wellington and I did. Sat down with her, and, and it's an elementary right at West uh, Dallas and Taft. And many of the children that attend or go to that school are uh, underserved, underprivileged kinds of uh, kids. And so we want to be a church that partners with other churches in the area to serve this community the families of those kids that go there. So just so you know, there'll be more opportunities there. In fact, in October, they have what they call, I think, Fall Harvest Day or something like that. John, I don't know if you remember the name. But it's a Saturday kind of event where they're asking the community to come out and volunteer to serve these families. And so you'll be getting more information about that. It's something that we could show up at and uh, serve for a few hours and really represent the Lord well there. So just so you know, we are very interested in, in, in this faith that we have being more than words and more than just gathering on a Sunday, but being something that, that translates into our everyday life. And we want to see things that are broken in the community restored. We want to see heaven on earth. We want to see the good things of God take place on earth in this life as we wait for the next. And so uh, today we're in the book of John, chapter uh, 3, and this story today is, is a really, really cool one. It involves this man by the name of Nicodemus and also Jesus. We began a series a couple weeks ago called Retrace, Another Look at Life with Jesus Christ. And as we retrace our own faith journey, we can retrace to the places where we had questions about who Jesus is. We retrace our own faith journey, taking us all the way back to the life of Jesus, and we begin to think about what would it have been like to be with Jesus on those dusty roads in and around Jerusalem. As he walked the earth, and he, is, he, he made manifest in a way never uh, seen before by humanity, the work of God in the world. 
if you and I could retrace way back to the time of Jesus, and we were looking at Jesus face to face, we would have questions. It reminded me of a famous proverb. He who asks questions is a fool for five minutes, but he who does not ask questions remains a fool forever. I want you to know as we're examining the scriptures and thinking carefully about Jesus that your questions are welcome. I actually consider it an honor to pastor a church that fosters questions, encourages questions. Unfortunately, in my experience, as I've shared the good news of the Bible with people that are outside the church, more often than not, people have a story about having grown up in a church where they heard about Jesus, but then they begin to question, and rather than that church embracing their questions, the church demeaned them or chided them for even having questions. And so they thought, well, I'm out of here. This isn't for me. I want you to know that Near 10 Church is a safe place to think of and to ask your questions. In fact, we see today that this man by the name of Nicodemus had three questions of Jesus, and Jesus answered them very, very clearly. So let's pray together, and then we'll read the passage, and then I'll teach you what it says. God, we love you, and I, God, I just pray that your word would become alive in our hearts today. God, I pray that all those that are here that do not yet have faith in Jesus as Lord would hear the gospel and that your spirit would make it clear to them what it means to respond in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. God, there are a lot of questions in our world. Many of them have no eternal significance. But God, today we look at three questions that are eternally important. I pray, God, that your spirit would work. And God, I just want to teach your word. I want the most impressive thing about this morning to be the gospel and your word, your truth. We love you, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nicodemus was a a leader among this religious group called the Pharisees. Now, we'll read about the Pharisees from time to time as we retrace the steps of Jesus looking in the four gospels. And oftentimes what we see is that Jesus is opposing the Pharisees. The Pharisees tended to uh, be the group that is externally very religious, but on the inside their hearts were dead. Jesus described them in one place as being like whitewashed tombs. The tomb is beautiful and white, but really what's inside is dead. Well, Nicodemus is... One of those real curious about Jesus, we pick up this story near the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He was a religious leader. Nicodemus visits Jesus at night. So here we are in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Would you stand to your feet as we read God's word together? John chapter 3, big three, little one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you. Now I want you to notice something. There's three times 
that Nicodemus asks a question, and there are three times that Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. So he's answering the question with a statement of, with some punch to it, with, with some assertiveness here. So Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now here's a familiar verse to most of you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Three questions Nicodemus asked. First one in verse 2. What is your message? The answer to that question, which is really the main idea of this morning passage, is a person must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. This is the message of Christ. First question, what is your message? Second question, how can a person be born again? And then the third question, why should we trust you, Jesus? Jesus responds to all three of these. And he talks a bit about this realm called the kingdom of God. Now, just for a moment, I want to begin explaining to you or helping you understand what this kingdom of God is. Now, As I explain this, some of it will make sense to you. Some of it will need to uh, become more and more clear to you as we examine God's word of the coming weeks and months. But it is important that you understand that Jesus came with a message proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist preceded Jesus. As you know, we talked a little bit about this last week. John the Baptist was sent by God to tell people, hey, the kingdom of God is near. And oftentimes when John the Baptist talked about the kingdom of God being near, he called people to repent of their sin. And if they were going to repent of their sin, they were baptized. It was their way of acknowledging that they were dirty spiritually and that they needed to be cleaned. It was symbolic. Well, when Jesus came, Jesus came with a message of the kingdom of God is here. And we know that the kingdom of God is here in the person and work of Jesus. What it means that the kingdom of God is here is that that God is beginning to work in the world in a new way. He's going to begin this season or time in, in history where he begins to restore all that's been broken by sin since the fall in Adam and Eve. 
So Jesus, like John the Baptist, proclaimed judgment and a called people to repent. But Jesus more often emphasized that there is a way to be saved from sin and to enter peacefully into this kingdom of God. So when Jesus comes and says the kingdom of God is here, he's declaring that his arrival has ushered in God's new work in the world. And there is a way to enter peacefully into this kingdom of God. It's an invisible kind of a kingdom, but it describes the places in our world where God is working. It's a little heaven on earth. There's this understanding of the kingdom of God. It's like it's an already but not yet kind of benefit of being at peace with the king. So we can already, as people that are at peace with King through Jesus Christ, we can benefit from being in Christ. We can taste heaven on earth. We can see restoration happening. But we will not experience it on this earth like we will someday when Jesus comes to judge, comes back to judge, and restore all things completely. So the kingdom of God is the places on earth where God is working to restore all things. Now, I just, for a moment, should help you understand how the kingdom of God relates to the local church, because here we are as a local church. Well, imagine, if you would, that there are two concentric circles. So the larger circle is the kingdom of God, and then the smaller circle within that is the local church. And at the center of both of those circles is Jesus. So the role of the local church is to be a gathering place for all those that are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ as a part of this kingdom of God. So for those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you're at peace with the king in the kingdom. So Jesus says, a person must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, if that comes across as a little like, I don't totally understand what you're saying, it's okay. It's okay. It it will become more and more clear to you as you ask God the questions. So here we are, the very first question that Nicodemus asked. He comes to Jesus at night, probably so that he can um, have some privacy with Jesus. He was very popular at this point. He'd done just enough ministry. Comes to him at night. What's your message, Jesus? What are you saying? Jesus is saying there's one way for people to enter into God's kingdom. Truly, truly, verse 3, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There are not multiple ways. This is what Jesus is saying. No matter what you think about how a person can get to heaven or what groups out there say, well, there's a whole variety of paths to God. What Jesus said is that there are not multiple ways to get to heaven. There is one way. God invites every person to enter. But a person must enter on God's terms. Now, this is a pushback on the common idea that there are multiple ways. But just reason alone says not everyone can be right. You cannot say, well, Jesus is right and Muhammad is right, or what the Buddhists teach is right or the new age, whatever, is right. You cannot. It's unreasonable to say that because what Jesus said is there is one way. So you have to choose to accept or reject what Jesus said. 
I mean, let's just be honest with that. What I want you to understand is that for a person to experience the kind of life that only God can give, to enter into the kingdom of God, something must happen in them to make them new. They must be born again. You may have also heard it, to be saved, to become a Christian. The idea of being born again, it's actually for John an adaption of a Jewish a common Jewish hope for a new creation. So when he uses the language of being born again, it's his way of saying that a person must become a new creation to enter into the kingdom of God. A person must become a new creation to see the kingdom of God. It's a little like when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what's your message, Jesus? Jesus says, here's my message. A person must be born again, must be made new to enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus hears Jesus say that and asks a question that you and I would probably ask too. Well, how can a person be born again? Are they going to enter into their mother's womb and be born again? Like, I I don't understand. I can just picture Jesus sitting there on that rock listening to Nicodemus, knowing that his questions represent many people's questions. I wonder if Nicodemus was tempted to walk away at this point. I wonder if when Jesus said, you must be born again, you must be made new, what Nicodemus heard him say is that You must change the way you think about God. I have experienced over the years that when the gospel is shared, and maybe this is the case for some of you, if someone doesn't immediately understand it, they walk away and call it foolish. There's a lot of mystery here, right? Let's admit it. If for a moment you think, by listening to me or anybody that stands on this stage, that we have completely figured it out or that we think we have completely figured it out, I want you to know that that, that's not true. There's a lot of mystery to faith, which I think is a beautiful thing because it gives us permission to ask questions of God Almighty. And oftentimes in those questions and in those answers, it's where our faith is deepened. Well, Nicodemus did not walk away calling it foolish He says, well, how can a person be born again? What in the world are you talking about? Have you ever asked that of God? Like, God, what? I I don't understand what you're saying here about being born again. There's a lot of mystery here. Jesus says, well, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, you're going to have to think with me here. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. Being born again requires repentance and faith. Now, Nicodemus, the person asking the questions of Jesus, knew the ministry of John the Baptist. And as I've already mentioned, John the Baptist emphasized repentance, symbolized in the ministry of John the Baptist by being baptized, the water ministry. 
So if a person recognized their sin, they repented and got baptized. So Nicodemus might, thought, might have thought that Jesus was coming to emphasize something different than repentance and instead emphasizing only the benefits of being in Christ. And Jesus knew his heart. Jesus said to him, hey, if you want to be born again, what you need to understand is that it requires repentance and faith, which is the work of the Spirit in your life. There are two things in, in its simplest form that must happen. You must recognize that your sin separates you from God. If you think for a moment, Nicodemus, that you can just add on the benefits of the kingdom without first recognizing that your sin has made you dead, then, then you're missing it. We cannot think for a moment, what I'll do is just add to my life the way of Christ. Because what happens is, it's like we put on this religious exterior, but if we don't recognize that the problem is within us, the sin that's within us, our tendency to make good things God, reveals our nature to sin and rebel against God. Our tendency to worship idols, we, we give our attention and our affection and our love and our resources and our ultimate self to things other than God reveals our nature within us that we must admit before God is broken and in need of a new birth. A person must repent of their sin. And then the Spirit of God, which them being even led to repentance is an act of the Spirit of God. But to be born of the water and of the Spirit means repentance and faith. Um, this is one of my favorite times of the year, not only because Houston Texans, by the way, you get a gold star for coming to church today on Houston Texans home opener. We'll be out of here in plenty of time, don't you worry. Um, Another reason I love this time of the year because I like to hunt and I like to bird hunt and I'm not that good at it. But my philosophy is the more you shoot, the more you kill. And if you're near somebody that's a better hunter than you, if you can convince them that you shot the one they actually killed, that works too. But just a, last year, I was down hunting in South Texas and uh, I was really focused and for some reason I wasn't thinking, and I backed up into a cactus. I don't, has anybody ever stumbled into a cactus or backed up into some sort of, yeah, I confess it, Jared. I see you, brother. I mean, yeah. The thing about those cactus, cacti, cactus, anyway, those plants that have pokey things, um, the thing about them that's really irritating is that if you back up into them, you think you got a little poke, but chances are you've got a whole lot of, um, um, Sticky things. Needles. Thank you, Jeannie, <laughs> my wingman. Um, so you got a whole lot of needles. Imagine for a moment if, if I had backed up into that cactus, and, and rather than dealing with the needles that are there, I just thought, well, I'm just going to just wrap it up. I'm just going to put a Band-Aid on it. Would the pain still be there? Yeah. And people might not think there was anything going on, but if I ignored the real issue, then I could cover it up. But the reality is I would still be hurting, Right? It's a, it's a silly illustration. Here's another silly one. Imagine you get something in your eye. And rather than 
dealing with the junk in your eye, you just take a patch. I mean, people know you look different, right? I mean, you look like a pirate, maybe. Um, You look different. But what you must deal with is what's in your eye. It's the same kind of thing here. And I see it time and time again, especially in our culture, which is very self-help. And what I'll do is I'll just go find something to make my life better. And I'll add it onto a whole lot of things I've already built up. So my faith in Jesus is here. My this is here. My this is here. My what, you know, all these kinds of things. I'm just going to add up and I'm going to be the total package. But the reality is we must deal and admit before God, I am a sinner separated from you I've rebelled against you. My sin is an offense before you. I mean, you can look religious and not do that, but what will happen over time is the sin within you will begin to fester and get infected, and it will reveal itself, and it will kill your faith. Being born again requires repentance and faith. And it's mysterious. It says there in verses 6 through 8, the work of the Spirit is like a, it's like a wind. It's, it's hard to know where it is, but you feel its effects. There's, mis- there's mystery here. When Nicodemus comes to question number 3, and he says, Jesus, why in the world should we trust you? I mean, let's just be honest. That's a really good question. Maybe you're asking it. Maybe you're wondering, Jesus, why should I trust you and not what my co-worker says they believe about God or the lack of God? Jesus, why should I trust you rather than what I have read on the internet about uh, some criticism of the Christian faith. Jesus, why should I trust you when I've experienced difficulty in my life? Why should I trust you, Jesus? Because that's like a decision we have to make every single day, right? Like wake up and go, God, I trust you. I'm just going to trust you today. I don't, I don't know how these bills are going to be paid, but I trust you. I don't know how this is relational strife is going to be worked out or how I'm going to deal with it not ever getting worked out, but I'm going to trust you. And Nicodemus is saying to Jesus, this rabbi, clearly he has a respect for him as a rabbi. He's come to him. He's asked him, okay, what's your message? Okay, your message is to, you must be born again to, to see the kingdom of God. Okay, how are you born again? Okay, I, I get it. You, you must repent. And place your faith so that the Spirit can continue working in your life. But why should I trust the message of Jesus? Well, Jesus appears a little frustrated at this point with Nicodemus. He said, you're the teacher of Israel? I don't think he's actually frustrated. I think he's just making a point. All right, Mr. Smarty Pants, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Come on. You're supposed to be one of the best thinkers in in our day, in our culture. Here's what Jesus says. Look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen. 
Jesus says, I'm telling you what I know and what I can see. Look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Here's why we can trust Jesus. Because Jesus, as God's Son, has been with the Father. Jesus has firsthand connectedness with the Father. Jesus knows because He's seen. He's not talking about something that He can't see. He's not talking about something He doesn't know. He's not guessing at it philosophically. What He's doing is He's saying, you can trust me because I've been with the Father. I know. You want to be born again. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. You must repent and have faith. You can trust me. You say, well, Jesus, come on. What have you done to prove to any of us that you can be trusted? I mean, talk is cheap, right? What in the world could Jesus do to prove to Nicodemus and all those that would come after Nicodemus and ask Jesus questions, what in the world could Jesus do to prove to us that he's trusted? He can do something that no leader in history has ever done. He laid his life down on a cross willingly for crimes he did not commit. And in some mysterious exchange, our sin went to him on the cross and his righteousness comes to us through faith. This is what he did. He did the ultimate act of God's love in serving us. Jesus will one day return as warrior king to restore all that's broken. But first, in this day, He arrived as an humble servant so that you could be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. How can you be born again? Repent and believe. There are some of you here that have been investigating what the claim of the Bible is for several weeks and you're wondering, how do I respond? What do I do? Here's what you do. You, in your heart, you go to God and you say, God, I recognize that my sin separates me from you. I need you to deal with my sin so that I could enter peacefully into your kingdom and be used by you to bring the kingdom of God to this earth, to experience heaven on earth and help others experience heaven on earth until that day when Jesus returns to judge finally and fully. This is what you need to do to be born again. Do not, please, do not say, well, that's your idea of what it means to go to heaven or to connect with God in the next life. 
but my idea is something else. You can believe that, and I'll believe what I do. No, that doesn't make sense. What I'm asking you to do is accept or reject the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, there's one way, and this is it. Be born again. Repent and believe. Will you do that? Would you bow your heads?